0: to listening to our discussion on flow in sport, exercise and physical activity with Dr. Trish Jackman. Trish is a lecturer in sport and exercise psychology at the University of Lincoln, and she has published several articles on flow, including two recent review articles. In the first part of our discussion with Trish, we traced some of the background and history of the concept of flow and discussed some of Trish's empirical work in this area. Today we are focusing on methodology and how quantitative and qualitative research methods can be used in in the study of flow. We will also discuss interventions to facilitate flow experiences and what might be the promising ways forward in this area. I hope you enjoy today's discussion. Let's then move on a little bit uh, looking at the methodological side of the research and where we are at. And in your review articles, you have uh, highlighted some of the methodological issues that we have to be thinking of when we are moving this research field forward. So you already mentioned that we have quite a lot of quantitative research on flow, which is even somewhat surprising if, if we think of this, how subjective and, and, uh, complex experience it is that we would think that qualitative approach would be also used a lot more often. So let's start with the quantitative measures. So for researchers who are looking to do work on flow from, from a quantitative perspective, what would be some of the issues that that you think are important to uh, think about?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good question, a really important question. So There are probably a number of angles that I'd come at this from. Linking back to what I've just mentioned from a conceptual perspective would be the fact that a lot of the measures that are typically used in the literature on flow are based on these nine dimensions framework. And if we have some uncertainty with regards to that as a concept and whether it captures flow, that then raises a little bit more doubt or concern as to the measures we're using and whether or not those measures are capturing what they intend to capture. So that is, I suppose, a first potential issue. A second would be, if we think about flow and the more recent evidence on clutch states, this idea that the flow measures, so going back to some work published a couple of years ago, is that when we actually interview people and also look at their questionnaire scores on these nine dimensions from the same performance, there is evidence based on that qualitative data that they could have actually completed those measures with respect to flow or to clutch. So that raises some questions as regards the discriminant validity. Can measures like this adequately capture flow and not capture another state? I think that's somewhat problematic because the flow measures are typically completed after a performance, which is more practical yeah. if we think of it from a sport perspective or exercise perspective. Typically, you know, in mainstream psychology, they often use what's called experience sampling, um, where people would fill in a short form after being beeped um, at potentially quite random points during the day, which from a sport perspective, that's not necessarily going to be practical because we can't really go out and disrupt people when they're in a competition so the questionnaire was almost seen as the next best avenue um but if we think about it if we fill in a questionnaire in relation to an activity we're only getting one score which is intended to capture experience of that whole activity however if we actually think about the experiences we have in an activity regardless of the length of it generally we have quite a lot of dynamic changes and fluctuations in our experiences and we may even have multiple um, experiences during that they could be positive they could be more negative in nature but all we get by filling out a questionnaire is just a single score which is trying to capture all of that and in some respect we're, we're going to miss out on Number one, the dynamic nature of our experiences. Um, Number two, also the temporal aspects. So over time, during an activity, how did our experience shift or change? So I think it's certainly very, very difficult. And I think there's widespread recognition, not just in sport and exercise, but more broadly amongst the flow researchers that We still have not got any form of gold standard measure for flow. I think, in terms of Mm -hmm. from a flow perspective, what's going to be really important in our field in sport and exercise is trying to develop a measure uh, that can capture flow and equally another measure that can capture this clutch state to ensure we can actually separate them. Because Obviously, if, if we want to do any research that is quantitative in nature, we need to ensure that the measures we have are accurately capturing what they're intended to measure. So I think they would definitely be some of the challenges as regards the measurement of flow. I think looking more so at um, the literature with regards to youth, I think one of the challenges I would see based on the review we've done is that the measures that have been used in, in younger athletes and younger exercises and those in physical activity they haven't necessarily been tested in that population Um, both from a a statistical perspective um, but also from the perspective of the language and the content and I think flow is one of those experiences that we need to consider will will younger athletes necessarily always experience it in the, the same way or will they perceive that their experience is similar? For example, if we think about you know our perception of time, is that going to be the same for youth versus an adults and so on? Too? I think there are probably some questions um, with regards to, at a population level as well to consider, but I would see some of those as maybe the, mm-hmm. the main challenges that we would have at present with regards to some of the quantitative measures. And I suppose one of, the, one of the issues as well is, you know, if we conceptualise flow as a is it a categorical variable or a continuous variable, um, and that's often a, a challenge, and, and people have tried to say if we, if we get a score over a certain amount on this questionnaire, does that indicate we were in flow? So I think there's definitely some, some challenges there that would be, you know, it would be beneficial certainly if we could overcome those in the coming years.
0: Yeah and especially what you lifted when we are trying to study flow with with younger sport participants that that certainly sounds like one of the big challenges to make sure that the questionnaires that are being used are also appropriate for for younger children and 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 adolescents. Mm. Yeah. Let's how about the qualitative research? So you mentioned that there aren't a lot of studies, and in your review that's looking at youth sport and and physical education, you mentioned some problems with this so-called career-based interviews. Mm-hmm. So, uh, perhaps just briefly explain what it is and and uh, what are the issues with that? Yeah, so I
1: suppose it's quite interesting because I would have started out undertaking what we what we call um, career-based interviews and have moved into conducting event-focused interviews. So that has been an interesting experience for me. If we look back at some of the early work on Flow, go right back to when it started in the 1990s, the most common way that interviews were conducted was in a way in which participants were asked to recall an experience that stood out in their career maybe one that was an example of a peak performance and were asked to speak about that and that was essentially assumed to be an example of flow now one of the challenges with that is that of course those memories may stand out and they may be um, you know people may be capable of recalling them however those memories may have occurred months years um in the past and I suppose. That may present some challenges when it comes to recalling those experiences, the accuracy of that recall, um, and as well as that also the the level of detail that we can actually obtain. So, if we look at that first two decades of research in this area of sport, a lot of the interview studies they they started to identify factors that were associated with flow. However, we were st- Still lacking in an explanatory theory, and that's still the case, even up to this day. We still don't have a way to explain the occurrence of flood. Now, this was Christian Swan in particular, and and Susan uh, Hooge McKenzie, some of her early work as well, started to look into this idea of conducting interviews really soon after people were involved in activities with the idea that if we can capture those experiences sooner after the event, it, there may be potential for us to capture more detailed information um, and information that is is going to hopefully help us to delve more into the potential mechanisms that underlie the occurrence of flow states. So, some of Susan's work was in, in more leisure context, specifically looking at river surfers, and Christian's work started in 2016 when he published that paper on professional golfers. And in that study, um, Christian sampled people on the basis that they had an excellent performance in golf tournaments. Now, when he was started out on that study, I suppose his initial assumption was that, well, they would be in flow. And, but it started to come clear through those interviews that there was something a little bit different that wasn't really sitting directly in line with what we would typically consider flow so that's where the elements of making it happen and subsequently clutch states came about so if we look at the event focus interview I guess there are three key characteristics of of this type of interview and could be really valuable not just in flow research but for any researchers who are interested in learning more about specific phenomena that occur during sport and exercise activities. So the first characteristic would be that we use what what is termed event contingent recording. So this idea that we try to conduct these interviews after times or events that match a specific criteria in the hope that it is likely that the phenomenon of interest has occurred. So an example of that would be, in our work, if we're interested in looking at psychological states that underlie excellent performance. So if we think about um, the 2017 paper in Journal of um, Applied Sports Psychology, and if we want to understand people's experiences during excellent performance, we need to find examples of excellent performance. So that would have been our criterion for sampling in that case. That was our event contingent recording criterion. And of course, that could differ from study to study. If you're interested in studying momentum, for example, you might want to go out there and find an example of momentum in a performance, and that would be your criterion for an interview. So the first key characteristic is the sampling approach. The second is, is trying to capture this data as soon as possible after the event so if we look at a lot of research in memory studies and and so on there is general acceptance that over time our memories will change so what we're really keen to do is to try and interview people when it is as fresh as possible in their mind and that is varied so you know I've done interviews which are no no more than a few hours after an event um and that's been really beneficial in terms of capturing some of that that really detailed information because often some of those quite periphery thoughts or um feelings we may have in an activity they they tend to fade away a little bit more um over time and even over the course of a few days we can we can have changes and you know, if you're a runner and you go out for another number of runs after that, that run that you've had that was really good, do you start to blur some of your experiences or how does that change it? So we try to interview as soon as possible after. Um, and then the third element, which I really enjoy actually using, and I think it makes her a really, um, really nice interview experience as an interviewer and also puts a lot of, of the, the the control into the, the hands of the participant in many ways is asking them to chronologically recall their experience. So essentially trying to get them to piece together what their experience is like from start to finish. So initially it's more about milestones, key stages in a performance and, and so on. And that almost gives you that reference point to then start to explore chunks of that performance when their experience may have differed and that has been really really interesting and I think that's one of the reasons I really enjoy interviewing is is that you just learn so much about the dynamics of people's experiences and um, how it can just change and what are those transition points and I think that's the huge advantage of being able to do it to collect that data soon after these activities is that we can actually really delve into those those segments of performances which which often occur in a really detailed way and often though those segments are they're not that long it could be you know you have a stage where you're you're going up a hill a um, couple of hundred feet of gradient it's only going to last you a certain amount of time but even within that there can be a huge amount of key moments or key points along the way so the chronological recall for me is is such a really valuable way to capture data on people's experiences, whether that be flow and whether that be other experience as well. And I think it's it's a method now that I've been using for for a few years since since my PhD and it it always it always serves up something new um as well, which has always been great. So Yeah, so what are event-focused interviews? They they vary quite a lot from the the career-based approach. In terms of why they've been useful, I think if we look at the progression that's been made in terms of understanding of flow in recent years, I think the event-focused interview studies that that have been conducted do offer us a, a contrasting perspective to what is typically surfaced from those career-based interview studies so I think that's really important and I think has has certainly helped us to advance the field and of course the career-based interview has has its place and it's going to be really important to answer some types of research questions so I think that's that's what we're saying we're not saying that the event focused interview is certainly not a one-size-fits-all and it will be useful for certain types of research questions but not, not, not always useful for others. So I think it's probably, if we think about it as a method, it's probably uh, fair for us to compare it to other forms of data capture uh, soon after or during activities. So let's say, is the event-focused interview going to offer you something alternative to a post-event questionnaire or to a think aloud method or to an experience sampling method, for example? Is it just another almost like a, a tool in our methodological toolkit in a way, I think is probably a good way of putting it. And and a, essentially a method that can really help us to delve into people's experiences in a, in a really interesting way.
0: Yeah. I, I was just thinking when you were talking that if we, if we talk about athletes and we would talk about these moments of optimal performance, or these could be like competition situations or these were some of the things that you talked about. So if I'm thinking of my own running and when I would experience something like a flow experience, that would be more often in an ordinary run than like often in these competitions. I wouldn't say they were like anywhere (laughs) close to a flow experience. But um, if I had to... Think of what could be those runs when I would have a flow experience. They are probably the runs when I'm on the trails. I often don't even have a watch. So I have like no idea of what is my objective performance if I'm running fast or slow. So I'm, I'm just thinking of if we are researching flow, is it, is it then linked to this objectively optimal performance or is it just this subjective state of uh, optimal challenge? Yeah, just just a thought.
1: A de- a definitely a thought that I've had, um, and one that I'm I'm keen to certainly as I'm getting into data analysis at the moment on a study I'm doing, and it's really an important question I think um, because especially in. the the sport that I'm researching in which is in runners who talk a lot a lot about pacing and almost that that quite thin line between giving the maximal effort and pushing it too far and typically flow isn't being reported when when they're anywhere near that so I'm yeah I would say keep an eye out for that one. I'd be interested to hear others' perspectives on it as well because I actually think it's a really important point. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think moving forward, I think that is definitely going to be a crucial area, especially from an applied perspective. If we're thinking about athletic performance, a lot of people have typically thought that flow may be the, the state that we need to encourage our athletes to be in. But I think what is really important is for us to understand, is that actually the best state for us to be in? Um mm-hmm. so yeah, I think it's it's a really good question. It's a really good question that I would have and um, one I'm I'm interested to learning more about and and hopefully developing understanding as regards that as well.
0: Yeah, I I look forward to hearing more of your results from from your study with runners as well. My next question will be moving on to then this difficulty of controlling flow and, and, and the failure of interventions to facilitate flow. So my no, own experiences in sport, uh, like I, I won't have any idea when this flow happens or doesn't happen. I was also very poor at ever getting to my best shape on a competition day when I was running. Uh, when I was doing more running competitions, I never managed to be on my top form on that day of the race. But so, yeah, so for me, things are, my sport life has been unpredictable in these, uh, these certain respects. But so in your paper on youth sport, and, and you mentioned this challenge of we, we are not really being very successful in facilitating this situations where it would be more likely for participants to have flow so maybe reflect a little bit on on these interventions or what is the practical work that can be done and what approaches might be more promising than than others Mm
1: -hmm. yeah i think it's an important one and um i'll certainly give a nod to uh, scott goddard who's a phd researcher at southern cross university in australia and scott's doing a lot of work on interventions in flow and um, he's conducted a systematic review as, as part of his PhD over the last while, which has produced some really interesting findings. And I think they chime quite well with what has been coming through in the exercise and in this, this recent youth um, review as well, is this idea that at present we don't necessarily have the interventions we would certainly like to have in order to help us to, Increase the the intensity, the frequency of flow states, and ultimately help people to experience this more often. If we look at a lot of the interventions, particularly in sport, a lot of the the interventions have often been around different psychological skills techniques, such as imagery in exercise. There's been a few studies that have used music um, in exercise as well. Some studies have used exergaming and suppose if we think about a lot of those strategies the the theoretical underpinnings for those interventions haven't been as robust I would say as they could have been and Uh you know why is it that some of these strategies might actually induce flow I think the rationale for that needs to be much stronger if we look at what athletes have reported qualitatively in recent years, and I think this is potentially where there are some avenues for us to start to test some of these areas would be this idea of open goals in particular. I think that's a really interesting one in terms of, even if we look at, in you know, a cognitive task, Matthew Schweickle's work um, looked at the the effect of setting open versus specific goals in a cognitive task, so it's, it's not a physical activity task, but using a, a measure that was essentially able, it's not necessarily a validated measure, but it captured elements of flow clutch, the differentiation factors on a scale. And mm-hmm. that that indicated that setting open goals produced significantly higher flow versus clutch, and in contrast, setting specific goals produced higher levels of clutch than flow. So from that perspective, it would be really great to then start to build that into more experimental work in in the field of sport exercise as well to see could potentially setting open goals be helpful for us. However, if we look at the, the process underlying flow that has been reported, there are other elements to it, of course. So there is that element of having a positive event, positive feedback, your confidence builds, challenging yourself, And then the setting of open goals. I think another important aspect and and coming at this from a a realist perspective is the importance of context. And I think what's Mm -hmm. really important is for us to understand what works for whom and when. And if we think about flow and the context people tend to report it in, is that it is exploratory or perceived to be exploratory, perceived to be experimental. And one of the factors that tends to inhibit it would be more pressured circumstances so one of the typical things certainly in my work over the years and speaking to participants that that can often trigger the disruption of flow is almost a moment of realization you're in a performance and then it dawns on you that this is getting quite serious the outcome is on the line sort of thing um which then triggers that that awareness that we don't necessarily always have from where we're in flow. So we start to become more aware of what's going on externally to us. So I think in terms of progress from an intervention perspective, I think it's really important for us to consider some of those potential mechanisms and how we can actually test those. And equally also considering how we test those in the appropriate contexts. From that perspective, I think it's it's obviously important for us to try and ensure that Whatever interventions we are devising to try and ensure that they are in line with, you know, some evidence in the area that will actually link it to flow as well. So I think there's there's definitely some ideas there that we we can definitely utilize and test moving forward. Um, but as of yet, we definitely have some challenges with respect to implementing, you know, the typical psychological skills strategies. And even if we think about those, a lot of them are, are going to involve an element of education when we when we first start to use them. Often they can engage quite a lot of higher order thinking processes as well. And I guess we need to think how, how well that actually sits with, with flow. So, yeah, I think interventions are definitely an important area moving forward. And just ensuring that our interventions are really strong, really robust, I think is going to be crucial to us making much more meaningful progress in this area into the future as well
0: yeah I mean having all this knowledge about flow and you've read so many studies and reviewed all these studies and spent like several years thinking about this has it changed the way that you are practicing sport and and exercise yourself I mean you can always do interventions with yourself you can change the way you do things and 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 all that. So has it had an impact on your own sport life?
1: Definitely. Um, Just generally understanding this area has definitely shaped how I've performed in sport and in exercise. So like you said there, the elements of the watch I think is really important uh, when it comes to running. So my easy running days the watch doesn't, doesn't get any attention whatsoever. Um, it's on, mm-hmm. but it may as well not be on, other than it's just going to give me a distance at the end, and that's pretty much it. So I think also, for me personally, and often it's probably quite subtle, but being in a team sport over the years, sometimes you can often tell when either one of your teammates or your opponent may be in one of these states. and. I think from that perspective, it's it's quite interesting. But you then try to see well if it's your opponent, how might may you be able to curb something like this? But equally, if it is one of your teammates, how might you be able to support them? Um, and for me, I think a big thing for me over the last few years when I was playing in my sport was just really interested in in seeing beyond these normative competence goals and the the typical ego goals I would say you know and using that as a barometer whereas I'd be much more interested in seeing how well we can do how how good can we be as a team or and equally as an individual and so on and and not necessarily having that that restriction on our on ourselves or anything like that so that's always been really interesting for me and I think even just learning more about this idea of clutch performance and increased performance under pressure has definitely been really interesting. I mean, I'll put my hands up. There have definitely been times where I've, I've experienced kind of a choking type experience where I've really performed a skill so poorly in a pressure moment. But a couple of minutes later, I can turn around and I'm able to execute it much, much better, thankfully. And there are definitely a couple of standout moments like that for me that have occurred, and I think you know sometimes it can be difficult because often people will will assume that if you study sports psychology, you're going to know all of it and you're able to use it. And and the thing I always say is, well, just because a biomechanist knows a lot about the body doesn't mean they have the perfect technique. And I think that's yeah. that's often one of the things with psychology is that, well, you know all of this. Um, why why aren't you able to deliver in the, in the big performances? And, you know, it's, it's just so much more complex. It's so different. So, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy actually um, using it to for the the benefit and seeing others actually do it as well for me has been a real pleasure because i think one of one of the, the big things for me in terms of my involvement in sport certainly last season when um i played my last year um with camogie was this idea of of being part of something bigger as well sometimes and and sometimes playing with other teammates can often be a really great way for me to to experience flow I found like there were just some teammates who they either view the pitch in the same way or, or they just see things in the same way you see them and you play beside them and work with them and I always found that really really interesting and yeah I think going back to the question and um, definitely have certainly tried to harness as much of psychology for for sporting performance and also it's been more recently but my running I think um I'm probably quite curious, actually, in relation to the running, because that's been quite a new thing I've taken up over the last few months. Um, I have signed up for a quite a long race next year as well. So um, I think part of that is is actually I'm curious to know what that experience is like. Um, because I think there's an element of that can give a lot of meaning as well to almost have that kaleidoscope of experience that you want to, know what that is like and i think that element of curiosity is is probably in a lot of us as well um but yeah definitely definitely use a lot of psychology when i when i tried to perform whether it's a, always worked or not it's another question
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah i look forward to hearing how the how your running goes not just what happens in the event but we all know that the process mm-hmm. of training towards something is is so important, mm-hmm. like whatever happens with that race is sometimes not as important as 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 that journey and having something to look forward yes, to.
1: Yes, just finishing, I will be very happy if I finish. That's the, the main thing for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've enjoyed our discussion so much and I also learned a lot. Uh, so many interesting things going on in your work. And so if we start wrapping up it, if you think of our listeners, and they might remember one or two things from from this discussion, uh, what would be some of your kind of take home messages or things that you hope that the listeners will remember from our chat?
1: Yeah, I think the first one for me, and regardless of your research area of interest, is to always, always be. I suppose don't be afraid to question um what's there and whether we can develop understanding by questioning what we already know. I think that's really important, regardless of what our area of research in. I think that element of a critical thought is is so important. Um and number two, I guess, yeah, for me is is just to think about ways in which we can try to progress our field and what are the ways that we can do that? So, is that developing in our case of flow, developing new measures in the case of qualitative work? Do we have another option here that we can utilize? And just that can apply more broadly as well. To think more about our methods and how we can use them to advance our understanding. So, they would be probably two more generic points. Um, and I suppose just from more from a flow perspective, is is I hope people will go away and, and think you know this idea of being in the zone it doesn't just potentially happen in one way there may be different ways and we we must also ensure that we are critical in, in our thinking in that regard and also I'd love to to hear more from people about their research if they're researching in this area and would ever like to to get in touch that would be fantastic as well and to hear their ideas and um have a discussion about those points as well
0: yeah, yeah, fantastic. I I hope uh, this podcast will also be part of like stimulating discussion and helping helping our our field and and the flow research to grow and develop and, and flourish also in the future. Indeed. So, uh, thank you so much Trish. I I really enjoyed our discussion. Thank you
1: very much, Nora. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in this show, we would really
0: appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a
1: fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.